0: Ephesians four eleven. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, Ephesians 4 12, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You may be seated, Father, as we look at your holy word and we consider what the Apostle Paul says here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about how you gave to the church certain giftings or offices to equip God's people for works of service. How desperately we need the church to be activated and engaged in their spiritual gifts. How desperately we need to transform the thinking of the modern American church from attending a building to being the church. To saying like Isaiah, when we see a vision of the Lord, here I am, Lord, send me. I know I'm not uh, a man that has the maybe the, The best giftings or Isaiah even said, I'm a man of unclean lips. My mouth does not always speak the way I should. And his mouth was touched and he responded, I'm here, Lord. Send me, send me. Father, we sometimes we're guilty of saying send him or send her. We see a need, but it's it's easy just to defer it to somebody else and say, oh, they'll take care of it. They'll give to that. They'll do that. But you've given us a metaphor that we're a body. Each individual part must do its share for the body to be at its peak performance. Would you help us to have ears to hear what you would say to us, Lord? So that we don't just live our whole Christian lives attending, but we get involved and we're equipped to serve. So may you bless the study and may you lead it by your Holy Spirit for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. Occasionally I get to listen into some pastor's conferences that are held at Parkside Church where Alistair Begg is the senior pastor. I love how Alistair Begg speaks. I love how he rolls his R's. And one time I remember him saying uh, he was talking about the gospel and preaching it accurately and he said, how will people know that they're a wretch unless you tell them of their wretchedness? That's a little bit of That's a weak attempt at Alistair Begg. But anyway, (laughs) I do respect Alistair, and he had a pastor from the UK come from Scotland. And he was talking about the demise of Scotland, how it was once a uh, place where the Word of God was held up, where people went to church every Sunday. It was just an automatic. And he talked about the decline and the small percentage of Christians that are now in Scotland and the spiritual darkness that is there. And he came and he said, I'm warning the United States that if you follow in this train, you're going to end up in the same spot. You might ask, well, what was the problem there? What happened? And he said, well, one of the problems was that the pool of pastors began to diminish and shrink because in Scotland, they made it a requirement to have a seminary degree, which isn't a bad thing, but here's what took place. Uh, as it cost more and more money to get a seminary degree, the pool began to shrink because people didn't have the money to go to seminary. And then not everybody that went to seminary was necessarily called and gifted by the Holy Spirit to pastor a church. So he said with those two factors, the financial and not everybody who went to seminary was actually called to pastor, the, the pool for pastors began to shrink, 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 shrink. And then the other thing was that the pastors were doing everything. They were marrying, bearing. Preaching, hospital visitations, home visitations, counseling, you name it, the pastors were all becoming burned out. And the model began to just upend on itself. Why? Because it's not a biblical model. It is not a biblical model for a pastor to do all the ministry. Pastors were given to the church to equip the church. For works of service in the book of acts chapter 6 the apostles say look there's a problem with feeding widows here and we know it's an issue and we know we got to deal with it but we're not going to neglect the word of god and prayer for the waiting on tables not that that's not something that we couldn't do but that's not our priority we must give ourselves to the word of god the ministry of the word and prayer therefore we need other people to do this ministry And the body of Christ cannot work effectively and efficiently unless the whole body is engaged and involved. This idea that one person should be doing all these things is craziness. In fact, the level of pastoral burnout just in in the United States, if you were to see the stats on pastors leaving the ministry each month, you would be appalled at it. So many former pastors are working somewhere else because they were thrust into a model that frankly is unbiblical and nobody could ever meet those expectations. And I think what happens in these churches, and I think this is gonna resonate with many of you, is what happens is churches that imbibe this philosophy go a couple of different ways, but here's one way that they can go. The pastor now no longer has time to prepare, to study the Word of God, to pray, and to really know and wrestle with the text He's too busy being a CEO of an organization, trying to keep everything going or every ball in the air. He doesn't have time to study. He doesn't have time to pray. So he doesn't preach expositionally. He doesn't preach deep into Bible texts because he doesn't have time to go deep because his job description has been changed by a modern uh, model that is unbiblical, And what it does is it creates people who just attend a building. They come and listen to a sermon. They come and listen to some worship and then they go on with their lives. That is not the church. That's not what it's to be. And unless that train stops, I am fearful that we're going to become like some of these other countries where pastors are coming over here and saying, don't do that. The primary place for equipping leaders must be the local church. Here's why. Because most of you are going to attend church on Sunday, not on Tuesday night. We have a Truth Academy. It's been a fantastic college. But we realize that most of you are probably not going to come during the week. You're busy and you've got other things going on. So we're starting a Sunday school curriculum with that uh, content a little bit uh, measured down for a Sunday school class so that we can equip future leaders on a Sunday morning. We want you to get involved in a... Uh, fellowship group. Why? So you can go deeper in the text because I can't answer your questions. We can't do a QA and a every Sunday. But you can wrestle with questions and then you can talk about application. How are you going to walk out this text during the week? How are you going to live in this text during the week? See, it's very easy to hear Bible verses on a Sunday and then we just go on with our lives. But how do you live in a text? How, How do you walk it out? Well, part of it is you need to understand what that looks like, and then part of that is you have to have other people encouraging you to do it, amen? And so that's why you need to be known. If you slip in the back, Jack, and you make a new plan, (laughs) Stan, right? Sorry. I don't mean to be coy, Roy. Sorry. Anyway. That was not planned. I'm so sorry. But get yourself free. Anyway. So, I'm not going to go to the bus, Gus. Anyway, so if you slip in the back to a church, some of you don't even know what that song is, and I apologize to you. And, and you slip in and you listen, and I know that some of you are at that point where you're kind of slipping in for a little bit because you're not quite sure about this whole thing. Okay, that, that's understandable. But at some point, you, you got to get on the train, man. At some point, you have to decide, Father, I, I don't want to just, my whole Christian life cannot be about attending a building a couple times a month. That's not what the Lord intends for any of us. So how do, we, how do we work this out? Where do we look in our Bibles? Well, we've got Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 11, and we notice that he, and I think in context we... We have Jesus here, he gave some, Ephesians 4, 11, as apostles and some as prophets. Now I wanna start there because some of you have been hearing about modern apostles and prophets and uh, how maybe they're even speaking with the same authority or greater authority than the apostle Paul. And I say hogwash. No, they don't. Here's why. Paul wrote two-thirds of the inspired New Testament letters. Modern apostles, in quotes, are not doing that. Now, there may be people that could be apostolic in one sense as being sent out, maybe to plant churches. And there is an argument to be made that some people are moving in the gift of prophecy today, but that is only to bring encouragement, exhortation, and edification by primarily by the scriptures it could be by a word that you get from the Lord but here's the point nobody's working on the level of the original apostles and prophets that wrote the holy word of God take a look at Ephesians 2 look at verse 20 it's talking about our citizenship and it says having been built on Ephesians 2 20 the foundation see that in your Bible being built on the foundation of who the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, Paul wrote that in the first century, and he was reflecting on the fact that the church is built on, please hear what I'm about to say, the teaching of apostles and prophets, with the central theme of that teaching being Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. So, some people say in Ephesians 4.11, you have a five-fold ministry, and I would say, I, I, I'm not sure that that applies today. I think what you have is you have certain ministries that are here for today, and I'll highlight some of those about the evangelist and pastor and teacher. But I believe that what you have is you have some foundations. The apostles and prophets are the foundation. The original apostles that Jesus chose, the prophets that wrote the word of God and were, gave us uh, predictive prophecy and the like. See, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but they pointed to Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Notice, in whom, that's Jesus, the whole building, we have a metaphor from uh, construction or a building metaphor, being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Now, if you flip back to Ephesians 4, well, we have the foundation of apostles and prophets. We also have this. We have some that are given. Jesus gave, and we know that God is a giving God. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, and Jesus going up into heaven gave gifts, apostles, prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors. The word there for pastor is poimen, it, it could be rendered shepherds. And teachers, that's a Greek word, didaskalos, a teacher or instructor. And then you'll notice they were given for the equipping of the saints. Now, if we assume for a moment that apostles and prophets were foundational and are not moving in that same way today, what we have left is we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, how does the evangelist equip the church? How many of you have ever been around a person that's really on fire for evangelism? Just raise up your hand. And sometimes you're, you're out, you know, getting a cheeseburger with this person and they're witnessing to the waitress and they're always thinking about witnessing to people. And sometimes you're annoyed. You're like, can't we just have a burger? And no, the, the evangelist is always thinking about the lost, right? And the evangelist equips the church because the evangelist will motivate those of us who need to be stirred to evangelism. Amen. And then the other aspect of that, and we've done this in the past, is was we've had classes, for example, uh, the Way of the Master we've done in the past, where we do evangelism training. We have uh, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron who were in that doing that training, and they, when you watch that training, you can't help but want to go out and share the gospel with people. That's how the evangelist equips the church, stirs us that we should be sharing our faith with others. And pastors uh, do the work of shepherding and teachers. Some believe that pastors and teachers are a combined office and others believe they're to be separated. So you could make a distinction between a pastor and a teacher. Let's talk about pastors for a second. Pastors are given to the church he gave to shepherd the people of God. Now, if you think about a shepherd sheep imagery, the shepherd is to lead the sheep to provide green pastures, still waters, protection from the wolves. So all pastors are shepherds under the chief shepherd. And so ultimately we follow Christ as our shepherd and the flock is to follow us as we follow Christ. Now we don't put too much emphasis on a man, but it is reasonable to follow a man if he is leading us toward Christ. Paul said, follow me. As I follow Christ. We all need human examples. We need shepherds. I have other pastors that I look to that help guide me. And I listen to their teaching. And I hear about how they do ministry. And I have other leaders in the church that uh, I interact with. And we encourage one another in the faith. Shepherds or pastors are given to feed, guide, and protect the flock. Feed, guide, and protect the flock. So when you come in on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, one of my primary duties is to feed you. To feed you what? The Word of God. So that you will be equipped, so that you will be strong. And one of my other duties, and this, this you may not think about very much, is to protect you from false doctrine. And one of the primary tools that God has given pastors to protect sheep from false doctrine, get ready, is true doctrine. <laughs> So when the truth of God's word is given to a group like this consistently Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday in small groups, now when a wolf comes along and dangles the carrot or preaches a lie, you're not going to be duped. Why? Because you know the truth. They talk about those who work in counterfeiting and uh, it would be too hard to try to analyze and understand every counterfeit bill that could come across Let's say you're a bank teller, and someone you know slipped you a, a counterfeit bill. How could you know all the variations? But they talk about how they train them on knowing the the original authentic bill uh, really well. So when you know the the real thing so well, any counterfeit that came across your desk, you would you would recognize it instantaneously because you know the authentic. everybody with me? This is the job of the pastor. and then the teacher, the teacher's job also uh, coalesces with that or is, is similar to that. But that might be someone who's more a Sunday school teacher, or that could be someone who teaches in other contexts. So you're imparting knowledge and you're imparting life skills. Uh, you might be a, someone who teaches our Sunday school classes. And I know we even have teachers in this room that teach in private and public schools. And those gifts are given as well. Uh, Do you remember when Jesus had appeared on the seashore and he had called Peter to himself and he challenged Peter three times? The question to Peter was, Peter, do you what? Do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know, Peter had said, Lord, though all leave you, I will not. I will die for you. And then we know what happened to Peter on that fateful night, right? He tried to fight and then he probably was a little confused or whatever, but Ultimately, he did what Jesus predicted, and he denied the Lord three times. So three times at the similar firelight, later on, Jesus is risen, and he says to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, you know, I love you. Peter, at the last question, was grieved. But three times in response to Peter's, yes, you know, I love you, Jesus says this, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. That's John 21, 15 through 17. He says, Ten, if you love me, then tend my lambs. If you love me, then shepherd my sheep. If you love me, then tend my sheep, tend my people. These are images from agrarian life, but they're very simple. It means take care of my people. It means, Peter, I've been doing this with you for three, three and a half years so that you would be effective as a shepherd under me. I'm your shepherd, but now I want you to shepherd my people. I want you to take care of the ones that I died for. And I I will speak a word to pastors. The only one that you're going to give an account to on the day of judgment is Jesus. It's not going to be your contemporaries. It's not going to be a notebook that you were handed on. This is how you do church and do 20-minute sermonettes, which only make Christianettes. You guys have heard that before, right? It's like, what's with this? Well, people can't listen for more than 20 minutes. Their eyes just begin to glaze over and... Well, wait, wait a minute. They go to movies for three hours. They can do a lot of other things for more than 20 minutes. Yeah, but sermons got to be 20 minutes. That's it. People would just might spontaneously combust if you go to the 21st minute. Right? Some of you may feel that the way on certain Sundays. I understand. Acts 20.28 20, says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, says this to the elders of the church of Ephesus, not sparing the flock. How many of you can say today that you have concern over the overall health of the modern Christian church because of a couple things? No in-depth Bible studies or very little, and people who are being sold a bill of goods about the Christian life that is just largely fantasy. It doesn't produce grounded disciples. It produces people flowing out the back door who've been sold a bill of goods that doesn't really work in everyday life. So it is important for shepherds, pastors, and teachers to do this job. Now in 1 Peter 5, I'd I'd ask you to turn over there, it's to your right, 1 Peter 5, this same Peter who was addressed on the seashore by Jesus writes a letter, 1 Peter 5, and he addresses leadership in this section. And you can imagine the things that Peter learned about leadership from his Lord and his own failures and experiences, and we're all going to go through that. We're all going to feel inadequate. Uh, we're all going to fail at times. First Peter five one, but Peter writes to this group of elders and he says, therefore I exhort the elders. First Peter five one, the word for elder there is presbyteros. It's where we get the idea of the presbyter or even Presbyterian. I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God. It is His flock, not ours. Among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, 1 Peter 5, 2, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Not your will, his will. And not for sordid gain. It's not for money. Do it with eagerness, but with eagerness. Nor as yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. Jesus said, you're not going to be like the Gentiles who lord it over. You're going to serve. Middle of three but proving to be examples to the flock one of your strongest leadership components is your example and when the chief shepherd appears Jesus you will receive the unfading crown of glory you younger men likewise be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another for god is opposed to the proud but what does he do but he gives grace to the humble back to first i'm sorry to ephesians chapter 4 So, this equipping ministry, Ephesians chapter 4, is something that Christ gave. When Jesus was talking about going away, the apostles were uh, disheartened. And he said, It's to your advantage that I go away. For when I go away, I'm going to send another, a helper. And he's going to live in you, and you're going to have gifts from him. And so, when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he gave these gifts. This is touched on in Ephesians 4, verse 8. Look back for a moment. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, and let's go back to verse 7, Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're saved by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2, 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And then notice it says, and he gave. So you could say verses 7 through 10 speak of our heavenly help, Christ the gift giver, and verses 11 through 16 speak of our earthly help, One of the ways he gives help to us is through other humans. Now, heavenly help is the power of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual giftings that he gives. And we all could not do one profitable thing without that. But he also gives earthly help, other leaders, other encouragers in our life. He gave these, the uh, pastor, teacher, evangelist, verse 12, Ephesians 4, for the equipping of the saints. Now, you are a saint. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, you're a saint. Uh, we've, we've been in some Bible studies in the past, and uh, I can remember one in particular where we had a wonderful gentleman who had a Catholic upbringing, and he was taught that in order to be a saint, you had to perform a miracle, and you had to do these, this, these different things, and you, it had to be officially, you know, uh, decreed by the church, and so we're at a men's breakfast, and it was early in the morning, and half the guys had drool still stuck to their mouth, and people were getting coffee injections around the table, and anyway, it was an ugly scene, but we're, we're in a text where it talks about Christians being saints, and I said, every one of you who are Christians at the table, you're a saint, and this old Italian guy who had a Roman Catholic background, he goes, he goes, I, I don't know, I, I just tell you, well, I gotta say this ain't none of you saints. (laughs) None of you, right? And we looked around the room, we're like, you know, we're probably not. You're right, (laughs) now, But we're saints by calling. Why? Because we're being called by Christ. We've been given his righteousness. We are saved by grace. We are saints, holy ones, set apart unto God. That's what you are. You're a saint. And as J. Vernon McGee once said, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. There ain't no other categories. Now, <laughs> hopefully you're a saint. That just means you're a Christian. You're clean. You're called out. You're set apart for sacred service. That's what it means to be a saint. Set apart for service. So, God gave these spiritual gifts and these human helpers that are gifted to equip us, right? Therefore, the equipping, they're given, first part of 12, for the equipping of the saints. See the word equip? It's a Greek word called katartismos. It means to furnish for service or for action. If you ever wondered, what does it mean to be equipped? It means to furnish for service or for action. Or to be equipped simply is to be prepared. Now, in many things in life, the proper equipment is absolutely essential. Example, you're a motocross rider. Are you amazed by the motocross guys that can do those flips in the air, right? And they wear helmets and they're all padded up because sometimes they hit the ground and they take a spill. And sometimes they've thumped their head, but they have that helmet and they have protective padding. How about a hockey goalie? Can you imagine being a hockey goalie and you're about to get suited up and you say to the coach, you know what? I don't feel like wearing that stuff today. I'm good. What? That puck is hard and, and what are you going to use to block it? Ah, just use my hands or my arms or my face. That's why so many hockey players, when you say smile, they go and they're missing teeth, right? There's gaps. You don't want those gaps, brothers and sisters. You got to get equipped. Equipment in life is important, right? The proper clothing. If you're a baseball catcher. Now back in the day, you see uh, photos and stuff from back in the day and guys went up to bat with just a baseball cap on. And catchers had the backwards cap with a little mask on and, you know, equipment has changed. But you get hit, hit in the head by a 98-mile-per-hour fastball and you in trouble. So the proper equipment in life and in sports is absolutely vital. And the proper equipment or equipping in the Christian life is no less the same. Put on the full armor of God that you may take your stand against the schemes of the devil. You must be equipped. How could you ever serve God's people without putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't do it. This would be nothing more than a social club without the power of the Spirit. It might be fun to to have these relationships and to try to love each other the best we can, but the supernatural love of God and the equipping of the Holy Spirit is what makes this what it is. See, this is supernatural stuff we're talking about, and sometimes we don't feel that way. But that's what God does. He's doing supernatural things in our lives. Equipping is also used uh, in the medical profession, says one writer, for the setting of bones. If you broke a bone, equipping has the idea of that bone being reset, mended, and healed. And sometimes those reset, mended, healed bones become stronger than the original. So it's the setting of bone. And the word equipping was even used for the mending of nets. Now you see how the picture comes together? A pastor, teacher, evangelist, all leaders in the church are to equip God's people. But sometimes that takes some mending of the net. Sometimes that takes, uh, people often walk into the church and they're like, I messed up, man. You got a bone sticking out, brother. (laughs) Let's reset that. Now that can be painful to reset a bone. For those of you who've been through that, right? They reset it so it can heal properly. That's also the idea of equipping mending and resetting so look i know that a lot of you you know you've walked in here recently and your life you broken is what defines you but that doesn't have to define you anymore you can get mended you can have the bones reset and you can be equipped to serve god do you know how many broken people are now in pulpits in america How many of you have heard of all the Calvary Chapel pastors that were high on drugs and (laughs) messed up and got saved and now they're pastoring significant works of God all over the country? See, God delights in taking, taking broken people and mending them to use them as vessels. Was Paul a broken man? Yeah. Religious, but broken, empty, prideful you see God wants to equip each of us for what uh, middle of 12 for the work of service or some renderings have it the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ God wants you to put on the uni and then go play the game it's it's a sad thing if you were to suit up as a catcher you get all the equipment on uh, I'm going to go oh you're not playing today no, just sit there in the catcher's gear on the bench. Who? Okay. See, if I'm putting on the gear, I want to get behind the plate. Can I get a witness? Anybody out there? I want to throw down some signs. I want to block some balls. I, I want to play the game. I'm not equipped just to look good. See me? Uh, my, my catcher's helmet's real shiny. Yeah. That's because you haven't taken any foul balls off the thing, right? At some point, the equipment is given that we might get in the game. And why do we get into it? Well, it's the end of verse 12. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. Could it be that the church is in the anemic position it is today because we have more attenders than we do have builders? Could it be that uh, we have a lot of people who just go into a building on a given Sunday morning and there's hundreds or thousands or millions? But does the attendance of American churches reflect American culture right now? Does it reflect the health of the body of Christ right now? I would say no. Well, what would bring that change? Well, I think it's when the individual parts get equipped and then serve. You know, too many times over, uh, for me now, a 21-year pastorate, I have watched uh, many, many people in the church not be involved in anything. So we, and we want you to be involved in the area of obviously where you're gifted, but please go out. You know, we need this, we need that. And there, you know, if you went on our app right now, you would see about eight or nine different categories where we need people to serve. And, The truth of the matter is that oftentimes the servants are the few. You guys have heard about the 80-20 rule in churches, that there's 20% of the people doing most of the ministry. And sometimes I think it's more like 90-10. And if that changes, the church becomes strong. One writer said, The surest road to a church's spiritual stagnation, to the pastor's burnout or to both, Is for the pastor to become so engulfed in activities and programs that he has too little time for prayer and the word. And programs that, quote, unquote, succeed can be even more destructive than those that fail if they are done in the flesh and for human satisfaction rather than for the Lord's glory. It is a lack of knowledge of God's word and obedience to it, Hosea 4, 6, not lack of programs and methods that destroy God's people. When they fall, it is not because of weak programs, but it is because of weak teaching, close quote. I think, I think we're here. I hear people say, and there are many good Bible teaching churches in our city, but sometimes I hear people say, I went to seven or eight churches before coming to Living Truth, and I didn't even have to bring my Bible. Well, why? Because the Bible is more a showpiece than it is taught. We have a preacher in our day who says something like this. This is my Bible. And he, and he has a chant for everybody to follow. And then I watch him put the Bible down and he doesn't talk about it for the rest of his message. I mean, that I'm sorry, but that's not going to produce a whole lot. So what does this equipping lead to? Well, here's what it is, verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. See the word the faith there or the phrase? The faith is the Christian faith, not your faith, but the faith. Until we all attain, it's all of us, until we all, the whole church, all saints, attain the unity of the faith. Our unity must be around the faith. That is the gospel, the Christian faith, the essentials. And of the knowledge, that word knowledge is of a precise knowledge, of who? Of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How do we know when we have grown up as a body, when we attain the unity of the faith, when we all know what we believe and why we believe it? Now, there's going to be different levels in a church, of course, because people are going to be new to the faith, and there's going to be some people who have been walking with the Lord a long time, or some people who have been in church a long time but have not been grounded in the Christian faith. And so there's, there's a, a continuum here, but... But eventually what happens is we know that we've been equipped when we mature, when we grow up, when we get rid of the baby bottle, when we say, okay, Lord, it's time for meat and not milk anymore. It's time for me to move forward in my Christian life. I want to be used by you. It's proper knowledge of the Son of God. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How could so many people be confused about who the Son of God is? How can so many people be confused about the deity of Jesus Christ? Could I submit to you that they haven't really studied their Bibles? Because if you study your Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ is an open and shut case. Right? So, how how is it that you don't know me, Jesus says to Philip, Philip? How many miracles do I have to show you until you know who I am? Did you see Lazarus come out of the tomb? Did we talk about how we're going to feed all those people? And did you watch me multiply the fish and the bread? Did you see me walking on top of the storm waves and watch Peter drown? (laughs) Or almost drown. Help, Lord, save me! (laughs) Right? How much more do you need, Philip, to know who I am? You see, the maturing is growing to the stature of the fullness of Christ. We grow up. That's the idea. We grow up. We get, oh, this sounds good to me. We get taller in the Lord, right? We mature. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Galatians 4.19, Colossians 1.28 says that we may present every man complete, full in Christ. That's what we want. We want people who are so full of Jesus, overflowing in the Spirit. This is what it's about. Look back in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, Ephesians 4.1, with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For there's one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. You see, when we grow, verse 14, Ephesians 4, as a result of this growth, we are no longer to be children or NIV, then we will no longer be infants tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceit and deceitful scheming. Do you know somebody who's thrown around by every wind of doctrine? They're, the next fad is over here, so they're over here. And then the next Spiritual fad, in quotes, is over here. So they run over here. Oh, that's, this is going on over here. And some people who have talked about the next fad and spiritual gifts and all this stuff, sometimes I look at their life and I'm like, <laughs> it borders on Disaster there's not a whole lot of maturity there in wisdom around the things of god they're running off to the latest fad did you hear about this one did you hear about this one there's this book and this is going on and this is over here and i'm going over here And you're like okay but then when they walk in the door their life's a disaster it doesn't seem like the bible has really ordered their life see as a result when we get equipped we're no longer to be children and the image here has been tossed around by the waves. Now, if you've ever done any body surfing or surfing, if you ever get in, uh, big waves are out there and you get caught out there and you're trying to survive. And if you, how many of you have ever gone over the falls on a wave? You took your boogie board out there. You said, I'm going to do this. And you went over the falls. That means you kind of went down and the wave beat you. And you hit, and you end up in the washing machine, and you're basically like this. You don't even know which way's up. Years ago, I was surfing with a friend of mine, and our leashes got caught together. And we were out on a big day, and we were surfing, and our leashes got caught, and our boards were flying up and, and almost hitting us in the head, and we were both stuck with the boards stuck to us under the water. And I was willing to sacrifice him, so I just... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I some of you might need a little humor at this point but anyway. so we were surfing one time down in Mexico down by the blowhole uh, La Bufadora my friend had a uh, his family had a house there and years ago his dad used to be a surfer in Hawaii he had this big old board it looked like more like a canoe so we kept we kept his name was Mr. Green and we kept Mr. Green you gotta go out Mr. Green come on we were teenagers come on Mr. Green come on so finally like on day three he takes this big canoe out there and he decides he's gonna paddle out Well, he got caught inside uh, in the section where he could still stand and he stepped on a jellyfish and it stung him and he is on the shore writhing in pain Ah! (laughs) and we couldn't help but think for three days we were like, come on, Mr. Green, get out there, Mr. Green, come on. (laughs) And five minutes later, his foot swelled and we're in Mexico, you know, so we had to go in town and get Epsom salts and he was like, I'm going to get you, you dastardly kids, (laughs) And we're like, you can't run. Sorry, Mr. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> See, if you get tossed around by the waves, you end up being in big trouble. You end up getting stung. Do You know some Christians who bought into a, a system where it sounded good, and there was some big promises, and, and they did it. They, they went with the system. They did the program, only to find that they don't go to church anymore. They don't believe this anymore. I mentioned to you a couple of big names in the Christian world before we started this message. I'm no longer a Christian. What? How is that possible? Do they not understand what the gospel is? You see, sound doctrine, whenever you see it in the Bible, it's usually this word that speaks of hygienic. Sound is, makes you healthy. Sound doctrine will keep you from being tossed around by the waves. It will keep you from being seduced by the trickery of men. And believe me, middle of 14, they are out there. There are tricksters who know they can make money in religion. L. Ron Hubbard, founder of Scientology. Easiest way to make a million dollars in America is start a religion. And he did. How many people has uh, Scientology devastated in our world? It's the trickery of men. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, Look, I don't want this to happen to you. I don't want you to be uprooted and tossed around by the trickery of men. I want you to be mature. I want your roots to go deep. I want you to be strong. Let's take a look at verse 15. Well, how do we know when this happens? Well, let me back up. Do you want to be equipped? Or are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with the status quo? Are you just willing to get by? Or do you want to be equipped? I throw that out there because I'm not sure that the answer is always the affirmative. Like, yeah, I really want this. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, which is what I just did. (laughs) We are to grow up In all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Jeremy Camp was a guest uh, on Frank Sontag's show on Friday. He was kind of a mystery guest. Some of you may have heard this. And people were trying to guess who it was. And finally it came out. It was Jeremy Camp, who's a a pretty well-known Christian singer. And he said he has some people around him that hold him accountable. And sometimes they'll say something like this to him. Jeremy, you're being a baby. Do you have anybody in your life who has the right to say that to you? (gasps) How dare you? And then you take your binky. (laughs) What are you calling me a baby? (laughs) Do you have anybody in your life who might have the right and you've given them the right to say, you're acting like a baby. Grow up. Do you know that a lot of our problems would be solved with those two little words if we would just Grow up. It's so hard. Sometimes we just want our blankie. and you're going to be over here with my blankie. <laughs> anyway, we're to grow up. Into all aspects, into him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. That's what we do. Could it be, brethren, that we're finally going to know when we've all matured, when that's what we do regularly, we speak the truth in love? is that you are you willing to speak the truth in love to people in humility knowing hey man i'm i'm in the same boat i need god's grace but i'm willing to speak the truth in love see i think that's the way that we could define what maturity looks like literally one writer said you could call this truthing it in love we're to be truthing it in love truth without love is brutality but love without truth is hypocrisy. If you think not sharing the truth of people is loving, that's false. Hear the quote again. Truth without love is brutality. If you are a truth teller, but you don't ever uh, measure it with love, wrap it in grace, then people are going to find you brutal. Well, the the Bible says truth, and honesty is the best policy, and no, you don't look good in that dress. In fact, you look terrible. <laughs> no, brother. <laughs> no, 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 no. we got to talk to you about wisdom. You speak the truth in love. How would you want it spoken to you? That's a pretty good way to figure out if you're speaking it in love or not. I'm just a, I'm just, I just tell it like it is, brother. I just let it sit there and do what it's going to do. Yeah, and other people around you are bleeding and wounded. Speak the truth, but wrap it in love. We all know how we need it. Final verse. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. See, every joint's got to do its part according to the proper working of each individual part. Notice the emphasis on the individual. Causes what? When when each part is engaged, serving, equipped to serve, peak performance, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. If anything we're going to define the church, Jesus said this, people will know that you are my disciples because of your, what? Love. Your love. So when people walk in here on a Sunday morning or when they meet us on the street, that is what maturity should look like. We should look more like Jesus and walk around more with his love. And when we speak the truth, it'll be wrapped in love. And the body will be effective for the glorifying of the head of the body, who is Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. I pray that you would put a hunger in your people to grow. And as I look out at this church, I know there are so many who are hungry. I see them here regularly. Open Bible, ready to hear, ready to learn. I know they're in their Bibles during the week. I know they're listening to sermons and doing devotions in Bible studies. And each time we open your word, each time we read it, meditate on it, hear it, apply it, we grow. This has been a time of growth. But Lord, a key component we know of that growth is how we actually decide to respond and apply your word. It's one thing to hear something. It's one thing to know something. It's quite another to actually live it out. And Father, we confess that we wrestle with that at times of being true to who we are called to be. Would you help us in those areas where we find ourselves weak and maybe even broken? Where we see inadequacies in ourselves and we say, Lord, you, you couldn't use somebody like me. And then we realize that just about every major Bible character <laughs> said the same thing. Lord, get somebody else, Moses said. I can't talk well. Maybe my brother's a good option. And the Lord said, no, I've called you. Lord, may we hear your call. In those Varying areas where the body needs the help to be more effective so that there's no gaps, no weaknesses, so the body can be strong. And as we reflect on really what that's going to look like, it's going to look like people who are grounded, who know the truth, they know who Jesus is, they know him well, and love, they put on love as a regular habit. Would you help us in that, Lord? And would you, my brother and sister, just keep your heart, your head and heart bowed. What would you want to say to the Lord right now? Um, what one thing has he put on your heart during this message that you'd say, this is one area where the Lord's been tugging on me and it's time for me to say, here I am, Lord. Some of you have, you know, you've, you've jumped out of the game and, And that's understandable. Sometimes we have to be on the sidelines for a while, but maybe it's your time to get back. Maybe you've been absorbed with all the things of self in the world and you've kind of lost your way in serving God's people. Well, my prayer for you is that you'd hear his voice. And you just yield. And it doesn't have to be in a hundred things. It could be one thing, one area. One yes. Yes. One Lord, would you help me? Would you clothe me with your power so that I can be that person you've called me to be? And if you haven't met Jesus with your head and heart bowed, you know, salvation is by grace and it's through faith and it's not of ourselves and it's not the result of works. So you have to open your heart to that free gift and if you've not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, he's ready to save you. His blood His death, his resurrection pays the price, but you've got to open your heart. It's just something this simple, and for those of you who have never done this before, it's just this simple. Lord Jesus, and pray it if it's you, would you save me? I confess that I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Thank you that you died on that terrible cross for me. Thank you for your resurrection from the dead, I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you. Would you save me? Make me a new person. Give me a new start. Give me a new heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Father, for those who have opened their hearts, those who are doing some business with you, those who are just thinking about ways that they could understand their spiritual gifts and engage them, would you bless them? I pray that this church will continue to mature, to grow in truth and in love. And be a testimony to a world that needs to see truth and love so desperately. May it be found in us by your presence in us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.